Well, does anybody have a Bible with them? Hallelujah. Well, if we can, yeah, a few people are ready to go. Hold them up in the air there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shake off the dust. All right. Make the bookstores glad and the devil mad. Let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Okay, some of you just came from out of town and wonder what's going on. Is this Bible not a weapon? I'm telling them, repeat after me if you believe it. Say, this Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. Amen. Well, I think I'm in the right place today. Hallelujah. The presence of God is very sweet today, isn't it? Just being in the presence. Hopefully continue that way. I'm going to talk to you a message entitled, Stuck in a Tree. Okay, now when you think of something stuck in a tree, what do you usually think of? Something that gets stuck in... Kites get stuck in a tree, but cats get stuck in a tree. So I'm going to watch this little video of the cat that was stuck in the tree for a while here. Anissa, why are you laughing so hard? I can see you doing it. Here, kitty, kitty. Ole. Oops. Yeah. But it, it was not hurt. You know, I did read another story. It was supposedly true, verified by reports, that it was by Niagara Falls, and they got a call from the, to the fire department for a cat. So the dispatcher called the chief, of, you know, the fire chief, and he said, well, it's about supper time, and we can get our volunteer, you know, a crew to come out and we'll see what we can do. So they come out with the fire truck, but they find out the tree is more of a willow tree and it can't really support the extension ladder. So instead of going back for an aerial ladder, this one fireman comes up with an idea and they kind of, two guys hold the ladder up about halfway on the tree and they tie a rope around it and then tie it to the uh, hitch of a pickup and then they decide to, they're just going to drive the pickup and just pull the, the tree down since it was kind of a... Uh, you know, elastic tree, so they pull it down, and right when the guy's getting ready to reach for the cat, the rope comes untied, and the report said the cat was last seen heading southward and not to be seen again. That's a new meaning for the word catapult, isn't it? And it was, it was documented. That's what they said happened. So uh, anyhow, believe it or not, now we can look in our Bibles, okay, or look on the screen. Genesis 2, verse 7. And we're going to talk about two trees in the Garden of Eden, okay? And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden east in, Egypt, in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now I want to go back to that very first verse, Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So we just have a body. That's it, no life. God literally breathes his breath into him, and he comes alive, a walking, talking man. But his source was the breath of God. His source was the life of God that was breathed into him. Okay, And God gave some instructions. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. That's not a threat, that's a warning. Just like when you tell your children, do not touch the hot stove. That's not a threat, that's a warning. If you do that, there'll be consequences. But how many of us, is it really hot? You just kind of want to kind of check it out. A lot of us just kind of, kind of experience things. We don't seem to take people's word for it. Now here God in the Garden of Eden created man, placed him in this beautiful garden, gave him absolutely everything he needed for indescribable happiness, joy, fulfillment, everything there. But in order that, might, that man might have a will and a free will, God gave him the opportunity of choice. Okay, And then the enemy comes along with these sly words, surely you won't die if you eat that. They took of the fruit from the tree, and this was probably a very luscious tree at the time, you know, full of fruit and leaves. They took of that fruit, and once they ate, they died. And I, I believe that tree looks like that now. But you think about that. Their source of life stopped. And from that point on, everybody is dead after that. The Bible says we're dead in our sins. And we're not alive until we know and get hooked back up to that connection. So he lost his source of life from the Father. Everything changed. Adam came unhooked from his source. And now here's all he has. All he has is himself and this knowledge of good and evil. That's all the resource he has now to pull out information and make decisions. So even right away when he realized he's naked, because now he realized that's not good, and he pulls out of himself and says, I'm going to fix this and makes fig leaves. And so he goes that route. Okay? Now, this tree, kind of look at it. It's knowledge of good and evil. It's rooted in self. Okay, we've got kind of a, a, a side that's bad branches, behavioral sin, shame, others evil, condemnation, uh, judgment. You know, then we've got the good thing, religion, pride, rules, study, uh, self-effort, people pleasing, you know, whatever it may be. And we spend most of our life trying to get out of these branches and getting over into it. We know we shouldn't do bad, so we'll get over here and hang out over here. And we end up going in this cycle. But the thing is, we're still in this tree that doesn't produce life. And a lot of times we hear ourselves saying, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to fix this thing. I'll find a way to work it out. And the very things we think are going to give us freedom end up keeping us in bondage, and it's a vicious cycle. We pursue freedom, and again, the very things we sometimes pursue end up keeping us in bondage because we focus on the wrong things because we have bad information and bad definitions. I mean, your definition of freedom is very important. Because your definition of that is going to determine how you pursue it, and how you pursue it might not necessarily be the right thing. Example, if you grew up poor, I mean literally in poverty, to where you just felt like my kids are never going to experience what I went through. 
you know, the, the names I was called or the lack we had. And if you try to pursue freedom as wealth, then because you're not, my kids aren't going to be poor, and you pursue that to such a degree, you become in bondage to your job and to working. And your kids never do see you. But you're telling them, hey, I'm going to provide for you. You're never going to suffer. You're going to, but they never get to see their dad because he's so much pursuing this wealth and success. So that's just one little example. We have a variety of appetites, but the most common appetite we have is the appetite for food. Getting close for that appetite to kick in. Now, I had the opportunity to take my son to California. He's pursuing acting, and matter of fact, it's this last week, and he got an a opportunity to, for a tryout with Adidas for a, a commercial they're doing, and so just keep him in your prayers. But on the way out there, you know, long drive to California, and a lot of food has to be eaten on the way. A lot of hamburgers in a matter of a couple of days. But uh, then we hit this one buffet uh, in California, and, well, let's just watch. Here, we'll give you a few little... First, it's stop at Big Boy Burger, one of the oldest classic places they have for a great hamburger with their special sauce on. Then it was the all-you-can-eat sushi buffet, all, well, along with the all-you-can-eat hibachi along with it, and the all-you-can-eat uh, every kind of food. You, that was my dessert, crab legs, frog legs, whatever else, and not to mention all the other stuff they had. And then we had to finish it off. I had to stay one more day. Just so we could catch the In-N-Out Burger. Any In-N-Out people out there, California people? I guess it's in Dallas now, so if you want to check it out. But anyhow, we were sitting in the middle of that buffet and having eaten I don't know how many plates, and, but we wanted to get our money's worth. How many, you know, that's like. But we're not even quite done eating and just full all the way up past where we should be. And I'm telling her, I said, okay, now tomorrow we got to go to that In-N-Out Burger place. And he just looks at me and says, Dad, we're going to have to have an intervention. This food thing is just consuming you now. I mean, I'm planning my next meal before I'm even done with that one. But isn't it amazing how that kind of appetite, hunger, can even shape and invade your thoughts? I mean, right now I'm probably looking like a giant french fry to some of you or something, getting time for lunch. But it'll actually, I mean, just it, it can shape our thoughts. But we all have an appetite for freedom too. And, you know, it's not a bad thing. And it'll want you to, you know, that... Uh, kind of that desire to get out of town or take a vacation, get out of the rut, and, and, that's, and that's fine. But there's people that are caught in this downward spiral looking for freedom, and they're crying out, I need freedom, I need freedom, because they know they're trapped, and they're stuck in some things they can't get out of. Now, a lot of this information from this point on is coming out of a book called Think Differently, Live Differently. It's by Bob Hamp. Okay, we have a class this book's based on and a DVD series called Freedom. And it's every Wednesday night, it's an hour and a half, and it's pretty intense information, but it's five weeks, you can join at any time and get in there. You can get this book, we got them in the foyer, they're $10 right now. Uh, but there's some powerful principles in this, because if you think differently, you will what? You'll live differently. Now this appetite for freedom can drive us in such a way that sometimes we can actually push freedom farther out of the way in our pursuit of freedom. An example, a baby sitting in a high chair, a lot of times will try to, you know, its motor skills aren't good, it'll reach for its pacifier and knock it on the floor out of its reach. And sometimes we do some things that literally continue to push freedom farther from our reach. And in a lot of cases, the solutions we apply to our lives can create a greater obstacle than the problem itself. There's a story in this book, when Bob was 16, his aunt called and had a flat tire. And... So he was going to come to the rescue and, and fix her tire and help her with that problem. So he gets out there and he realizes she does not have a lug wrench for her car. 
So he goes to his Volkswagen, gets out the lug wrench, and he goes and starts to take off the lug nuts, only to realize that the VW lug wrench is a little bigger than the Chevy lug nuts. And so he rounded off all the lug nuts as a 16-year-old boy. So now what? The problem just got worse. The solution he had was, it was a faulty one, so the situation got worse. Had to call a tow truck, take it to his shop. You know, they had to get all those things removed. And sometimes it's like that in our life. We make the condition worse with our attempts to try to solve them. Give me, I'll give you a couple of lies about freedom. Three lies about freedom. This is a lie about what freedom is. It's a lie when you think freedom is the absence of boundaries. Okay? Most adolescents, teenagers, that's kind of our thing. You know, we need our freedom. Mom and Dad, you're holding me back. I mean, why? Everybody else is getting to go out, you know, on and on. Now, how many teenagers are now parents, and you're having to live your life out in the way you fought your parents? But a lot of times, our efforts will actually dig a deeper hole because sometimes they don't, they don't just buck against parents and want freedom. Then it's against school teachers. It's against coaches. It's against authority. And before you know it, they're behind bars, and now they're free to let somebody else make all their decisions. What, this is what you're going to eat. This is when you're going to go to bed. This is where you're going to sleep. But, you know, there's people right now in jail behind bars that are living in more freedom than some people possibly in this room right now because we're bound to certain things. Lie number two about freedom. Freedom is the absence of frustrating habits. See, we focus on the symptoms instead of the cause. And there's that thought, well, I drink too much, therefore if I stop drinking, then I'm going to be free. Or I'm going to stop screaming or biting my nails, whatever the situation may be. See, behaviors and bondages we see on the outside are a result of the lack of freedom we have on the inside. Did you catch that? I'll say it one more time. The behaviors and bondages we see on the outside are because of a, something going on in the inside, the lack of freedom we have on the inside. And I'm just scraping the surface of some of this stuff. Lie number three, freedom will come when my circumstances or my relationships change. See, we think it's this situation that's keeping me stuck. It's these people or this person or my, my boss that's keeping me stuck at this level. And sometimes it's even in a marriage. You know, if I just get out of this marriage, then get in another one, then I'll be free. Truth or lie? Lie. See, those are all lies, counterfeits, and decoys. So what is freedom? Here's a great definition in this book. Freedom is the ability to act and react in life as the man or woman God created you to be. Look at that again. Freedom is the ability to act and react in life as the man or woman God created you to be, the person you really want to be, and being able to react like that. And here's evidence of freedom in your life. It's when you can act and react without insecurity. It's when you can act and react without judgment or fear or rage or without selfishness. Those are real tests whether freedom's in your life or not. Now, I'm not there yet, but I'm sure not where I used to be. Can anybody say amen to that? Have you seen growth? Okay, well, God wants to bring us all the way. And it's, and it's a process. It's a journey. It's not like just one prayer is going to do this. God kind of peels off layers. And just as much as we're willing to let the freedom come, He's willing to give us that freedom. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, now this word life, John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, say life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Okay, so the word life, I'm going to give you four words for the word life. L stands for living. Are you really living? 
And if you're living, who are you living for? I mean, are you alive? Because God breathed life into Adam, okay? But he lost that life. He lost that connection. Now, there's really two trees in this room. We got this tree, and this is all the information he had himself in this tree. Knowledge. Is there another tree in this room? Can anybody point to it? Right over there. It's that tree right there that Jesus represents the cross that Jesus died. He said he was nailed to a tree. Now, in that Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life right in the middle and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And right now, most of us and spend a lot of our life making decisions out of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to do more good than bad. That's called religion. I mean, religion, you're still in a tree. You're stuck in a tree. Now, how many have been in religion? And that's all. For 30 years, I went to church, and I tried to do more good than bad, but usually I lived like the devil the rest of the week. And it wasn't until I experienced that life that real freedom came. But I'm telling you, that tree... Right there, just like there was a tree in the Garden of Eden of life, and when Adam sinned, now you can't get to it anymore. There's an angel with a fiery sword that you can't get back to it. But God provided another tree of life, and it's called that cross. And it all happened in a garden. Where he was, where he was killed and where he was buried was in a garden. And we now have a tree of life. But you've got to go to that tree and bow down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and accept Him as your personal Savior before you'll experience that life and get plugged back in. Amen? You know, I've got a tool over here. This is a pneumatic, you know, wrench that you put on lug nuts with. Anybody seen one of these? Okay, I don't know why it's not doing anything right now. Any, any ideas? Can anybody help me here? Okay, it needs a source of air, right? So what happens when we hook it up to its source? Can I see any hands of the NASCAR people that are getting excited right now? <laughs> Car nuts. See, once it's hooked up to the source, it can do what it was meant to do. But sometimes we go through life and it's like, you know, I can't breathe. You know, I have no air. And it's because you're not hooked up to the source. You need to be hooked up to that source, and his name's Jesus. Okay, listen to this statement by Pierre Terden de Carden. Let's just call him Mr. Chardon. All right? We are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on a human journey. Let that soak in a little bit. Because when Adam and Eve walked away from the tree of knowledge, their hearts were still beating, but they died. They were no longer connected to the source of life. The only source they had was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a new source of information, but an inadequate source of life. This is an inadequate source of life. Okay? You really need to understand that. And you're going to be stuck in a tree if you just try to keep doing more good than bad, okay? And if that's you, a matter of fact, you're dead. And you need to be born again. I was dead for 30 years. And that's what you're born again. I mean, you're dead in your sins. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, we're talking about a personal thing. God wants to walk and talk and have relationship with you. And some of you that even kind of came to the altar and said a little prayer, I, that, that don't even really cut it. I'm talking about having a relationship. See, I didn't marry my wife, and, and we say the vows, and I say, hey, I'll see you next Sunday, and I'll spend about an hour with you. And then after a while, I get a little busy, so I'm, I'm going to definitely see you on Christmas. Are we going to have much of a relationship? It's not going to be much at all. Matter of fact, she could probably call it when even recognize who it was. But because we spend time together, I try to please her, she tries to please me, and we have a great relationship, and I recognize her voice. That's a relationship, what it's supposed to be. God wants that with you. He wants that with his children. 
So from that point on, they started living not by knowing a person, but by knowing the rules. So you're not going to experience life by just knowing the rules. You've got to know the person. So the L stood for what? Living. Are you living? The I stands for identity. In this same book, Bob, who a, was a professional counselor at the time, talks about visiting a woman in a detention center. And this woman had beat somebody to death. And so when he sat across from her, she wanted him to know that she was somebody he needed to be afraid of. I mean, there was anger and hate and rage in her eyes, and she'd communicate real rough, and she ended with this statement. She says, I'm the worst person you'll ever meet. And before he could even think about it, the Holy Spirit brought up something. And what he said in response, what if you're not? I mean, just think about that little statement. How much you could use that when somebody says something negative. Well, what if you're not? Well, the doctors say I'm going to die. Well, what if you don't? I mean, just think about that. But he, he said, well, what if you're not? And then she said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, what if you're not really that wicked at all? You know, what if you're really just a little girl who's been through a terribly painful set of circumstances and all you really know is what you felt and what you feel is not really who you are. A lot of us are like that woman. I mean, we have our identity based on the circumstances we've gone through. We have our identity based on maybe what a father who wasn't there or was there or spoke something negative over your life, like you'll never amount to anything, you know, you'll never do this. And we have kind of had that playing over in our mind. Anybody been there? God wants to set you free and give you a new identity. Because Jesus has the answer when he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When I talk about the kingdom of God, I'm talking about the, the presence of God, the real manifest. I mean, Jesus was right there. He said, the kingdom of God is here, he was telling them. But you need to repent. The word repent means, it's like the title of this book, think differently. That's really what the word repent means. To th you begin to think differently. Because if you think differently, then you'll begin to act differently. It's not about doing more good than bad. It's actually changing the way you think. And it'll change the way you act. And it all comes down to your identity. And a lot of times we ask these questions. Well, I wish I had. Or uh, if I'd have never let myself do this. Why did I let myself do this? You need to be asking this question. How do I know who I was born to be and I've become that person? Because our identity is determined by our DNA and our birthright, not our circumstances. I want you to be sure to catch that. Now, if you evolved with some piece of slime, then, you know, good luck to you. Um, get some more knowledge. Jesus came that you might have more knowledge. No, he came that you might have life. Matter of fact, my daddy is the creator of the universe. My daddy can beat up anybody else's daddy on the block. And it might have been my parents who brought me up, but it was my God who thought me up. And I know he's thought some of you up. Amen? While you were in your mother's womb, he was doing that. I mean, he had my wife all thought up and dreamt up the day I was born. I believe that without a question of a doubt. Why? Because my, my, my wife was born nine months later. I'm telling you. I was born, hey, I'm going to get one ready for her. And thank God I waited for the right one. Amen. It's worth the wait. Amen. Again, our identity comes from our birthright, not our behavior. Okay, John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Are you a child of God? If you come to him, if you ask him to come in, 
then you become, I mean, everybody's his creation, but not everybody's his child. You can become a child of God by receiving. He'll give you the power to do that. So you're a child of God. Are you connected to the source of life? Is he your father? The letter F stands for freedom. Say freedom. Now tell me where this scripture's at. Seek first the removal of your problems, and then all these things will be... That's in second hesitations, if you want to look it up. But in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. See, you don't... You can't seek your problems... And, and, and see him go away. It's like, if this is your problem, put, in, put your hand in front of your face. Okay, all of a sudden it's become big, right? And your problem's big. It don't say seek the problem, but it says seek the kingdom. Seek the king. Seek this personal relationship. Seek that life source. And then all these other things. Because what you seek will organize your life. If you seek pain management, your whole life's been around trying to deal with that pain. Whatever you seek. As a matter of fact, we worship the opposite of what we fear. Or we worship, seek, same, you can use those same words, you know. And so if you fear failure, you're going to seek or worship success. If you fear rejection, what are you going to seek after? Acceptance. And you'll be into people pleasing and all sorts of things. But seek ye first. I'm telling you, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Education and discipline don't transform people. It's revelation. And when I say revelation, we're talking about experience and relationship. That's what changes. That's what tra Matter of fact, Bible studying itself will not bring life. But it'll turn you to the author of life when you look at this book. And when you begin to get the author inside of you, then this thing comes alive. And it's alive and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's powerful. So don't get stuck in the tree of knowledge. Information won't give you life, revelation will. Matter of fact, the Bible says when we turn to the Lord, the veil is lifted, and then we begin to have revelation. And a matter of fact, it says the law, the letter of the law actually brings death. But the Spirit brings life. And I'm telling you, I had an experience when I asked Christ into my life. As a personal relationship, man, my life changed. But I still was fearful and still stuck in a tree in a lot of areas until somebody prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, that whole thing that sounds crazy, especially when you're hanging in that tree, it sounds real crazy. But I'm telling you, they, because he just put a hand on my shoulder in the middle of a Bible study, he said, you want more of God, aren't you? I said, man, how did he know that? And he started praying in tongues. And I said, oh, my word, what is that? But I wasn't afraid because I knew it was in the Bible. We'd been studying it. But I just begin to cry because the presence of God, became, that's the manifest presence of God. I mean, I experienced the kingdom, the power. I mean, I just begin to weep. The presence of God was so strong. And I tell you, my life was changed even to a greater dimension by the power of the Holy Spirit. That fear, I began to be bold and witness to my neighbor. He got saved the next week in church. And I'm telling you, go for the Spirit of God. Don't let some lie that it's of the devil or whatever it is. I mean, ask God. The Bible says in Luke eleven eleven, if you ask your earthly father for a fish, he would not give you a snake. If he asked him for an egg, he would not give you a scorpion. How much more if he asked for the gift of the Holy Spirit, would he give it to you? So you're getting a, a little extra here than the other service because there's some people in here that you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You have some lies. And you're wanting power and you're wanting some things. And I'm going to tell you, you just want to ask God for it or he's going to take his power hose, psh, maybe knock you out of the tree. Amen? <laughs> but he'll catch you. He won't let you fall. Hallelujah. 
So the last letter is the letter E. It stands for ears. How many of those do you have? Hopefully a couple of them. We got one mouth. I spend most of my time talking to God when I spend twice as much time listening. Here's what Adam was asked right after this mess happened. You hear God saying, Adam, where are you? Now, God's omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful. He knew exactly where Adam was. But he's asking this because he's about relationship. Where's that relationship? Adam, we walked, we talked. I was your source of information. You could ask me anything. I mean, remember that time you asked me why I made this crazy animal with the long neck, the giraffe, and I give you that description? I mean, just think of walking and talking, all the questions Adam had. You know, there's, right in this room, we have all kinds of questions. God is wanting to answer those questions. He really is. And when I'm talking about hearing God's voice, it's not a, just a strange mythical thing, even though it seems rather hard and difficult. It's really not. Matter of fact, let's just do a quick little exercise I've done with children, and it, it just, it's just amazing. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes, and we're going to say to God, I love you, Daddy, and then we're just going to listen to whatever thought comes to our head, okay? So close your eyes. Let's just say it together. I love you, Daddy. Does anybody want to volunteer what they thought, heard, felt? He was smiling, said, I'm well pleased. Somebody else? I love you, Mary. I love you, daughter. How many just... I love you before you even get stopped even thinking. A lot of times people hear, I love you too. I mean, it's just, that's the thought you get. See, our thoughts come from one of three sources, either ourself or the devil or God. Now, the challenge is getting those other voices to shut up. I just went out and ate with uh, some friends of ours that were in our youth group, uh, BJ and Sonia, and they got two little kids now, and when you go out to eat, kids can make a lot of noise. And it took me back many years when we had a lot of them in diapers. And it's, Mommy, I want this, Daddy, and they're just screaming, and can you even, can't even hear the TV. It's like, please be quiet. But isn't it like that sometimes with us? We're trying to make a decision, and our flesh is screaming out like a little kid. I want that new car. It smells so good. Buy that new car. And the devil's pushing you. Say, oh, you can get it. Easy payments. Easy payments. You can... How many have gotten into the car easy, but you can't get out of it easy? It's like getting in the tree easy, but you can't get out of it so easy. I tell you, you just got to say, voices. I bind you, voice of the devil. I bind you, voice of self. And you just got to get in that place. And that's, to me, the biggest challenge is to get everything else to be quiet because I just don't like to stop. I like to keep moving. As a matter of fact, when some of you get quiet, you begin to reflect on some of the lies. You begin to, to sense some of the bondage you're in when God wants to come alongside and bring you freedom. Let's do one more exercise here. I want you to ask one more question before we close. This time, I'm going to ask you to ask your daddy, say, I mean, ask it in a personal way, what do you think of me? Okay? Just close your eyes and you just ask your father in heaven, what are you thinking of? Amen. Anybody want to volunteer an answer? Something you felt, heard, thought, saw? You're so brave. Smart, loving, and caring. I don't think the devil would say that, would he? Anybody else? 
What? Beautiful and wonderful? Wonderful, have a heart for me, and I love that. You know, Heather, earlier, when I was kind of thinking that question in my mind, I heard your daddy say, I love you and I'm proud of you. But, I mean, your earthly dad and your heavenly daddy, it's almost like they're practicing a song. They're going to be singing you about how proud they are of you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I, well, I'm down here, I guess. Your name was Oscar, right? I, you just stood out today. It's like God wants to tell you he's proud of you. I think there's some things that, an avenue he wants to take you down that is going to be new. I mean, some new revelation who he is, but I really think there's some family members. I think there's some, some bondage in some family members that comes through your bloodline that God wants to use you to break that thing and really bring freedom. Uh, even to other family members and people you know. But uh, he's not done with you. He's just getting started with some exciting things for you. I just really felt that. There's just, God loves you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, if we could just help people hear God, and we can counsel them and give them information, but in the midst of that, what if you just stop and, you know, they're believing, and you just say, ask God what he thinks about that. And they just pause a little bit. I'm telling you, one word can transform their life. It can really bring freedom. Because a, a lot of this book and this class came out of a church called Gateway. That's how many member churches? That thousands. Huge church. But the pastor realizes, I need my people to be free. Just think if the church people were free, what could happen in our community? Because free people, free people. Did you catch that? Free, when you're free, you'll free other people. And you know, Pastor John's heart about seeing people discipled and free, that's why we're starting all the small groups on Wednesday night. And I really felt this, that I needed to challenge. There needs to be five groups start with this freedom class, and you could just get the DVD, and all you need, and if you don't know how to run a DVD player, get one of your kids and show you how. We just put the DVD in for an hour and a half for five nights and let it play and invite somebody over. And let that freedom begin to start. I mean, you can start a small group anytime. And what an easy way to do it. You know, I, and just do it for a selfish reason, if nothing else. Just say, hey, I want to be free if anybody else comes. You know, we had a need for a leadership class uh, several years ago. So I started it, and we played leadership tapes, and there might have been a dozen of us in there, dropped down to six. Pretty soon it was just two of us. And the next semester, I'm thinking, should I do this leadership class? And I felt like, you know what? I want this information so bad that if nobody else comes, I'm just going to have the class, just for myself. But you know, there was one other person who always continued to come. His name was Sterling Lacey. And that was back when he was doing just counseling. Little did he know he'd be leading our county now. So you don't know what God has in store for you, do you? Just say, yes, Lord. That's, and it makes things real easy. Amen? Let's finish with this verse here. John 10, 10, we already read it, but I'm going to read it this way in the Message Bible, the version. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so you might have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. So as we close, if you feel like you're stuck in a tree, today's the day you can get out. If you feel like you're stuck in a rut, you're not sure of your identity, you need freedom in some area, whatever it is, I want to challenge you to come to the altar. Because when you come to the altar, you have to get out of that tree called pride. And there's something that breaks there. And the, it's God's design to use each of us. Well, I can pray among. Yes, but why does he say if two should agree as touching anything, it'll be done. Why does he say is anybody sick? Is anybody hurting? Come to the elders of the church. 
anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. If you have faults, confess them to one another. I mean, God designed us as family. And I know some of you have a hard time trusting out there, and you have reason to, because you were hurt and you were done wrong. But you got to start trusting again. Just ask your daddy right now, should I trust? What's he going to say? I can tell you. You're going to hear it. And not that you're not going to get burned again. You need a little more selective. But, I, you know, this is a safe place at the altar. It really is. Let's stand to our feet. You know, as you stand, I want to ask this one last question. You might need to be born again. You're not really alive. You don't have a personal relationship. Twenty-some years ago, somebody asked me if I died, would I go to heaven? And I thought, man, I don't have an answer to that question. Maybe I do more good than bad, and I realize I don't cut it. And so at that day, it was in a football chapel service. I raised my hand, and I just repeated a prayer. Jesus, come into my life. And you know what? My life changed. God came, and we began a personal relationship. Now, I wasn't all free all at once. It's a process. The more I was willing to say yes to God, the more the freedom was coming. And so if you're in this room today, and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not plugged in to that source of life, or you've gotten off track, or your tree just looks like this. It's just dead. It needs to be full of fruit and growing and vibrant fruit of the Spirit. Then I want you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, and say, Pastor Mike, I want you to pray for me because I need to get things right with God. I need to get hooked up to the source in His name, Jesus. If that's you, hold up your hand and we'll pray for you. Anybody? I know there's some people in here. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? I see your hand. See one over there. See you and you. Both of you. Want to get plugged in? Anybody over here? Got one back there. Amen. Keep giving a hand clap. God's coming to you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Here's how we're going to close. All the team, you begin to come up right now. And if you raised your hand, I especially want you to come up. Because I want you to head over to that cross or the altar worker will take you over there. we got some information we want to give you to help you get connected, stay connected, to experience that life. But anybody else, the altars are open. If you want freedom in any area, if you just want somebody to agree for something, or if you just want to come worship a little bit. So we're going to sing through this one time and I'll formally dismiss you. Just go ahead. The altars are open. Let's go ahead and sing and just pray for these people. Give another hand clap as they come forward. You raise your hand. Come on down.